Testing. All right. I always love that the little bass drop that happens in that pump video. It's great. Um, as Stephen was reading here just earlier, uh, by way of introduction, my name is Manoj. I'm one of the pastors here. Sorry about that. Um, we use the term pastor and uh, elder here uh, interchangeably. Uh, we've got great teaching pastors. I get to teach a few times a year, uh, and it's my joy and privilege. If you're new with us this morning, welcome. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that we'll be able to look into God's Word and that you'll be encouraged as we, uh, as we study it. Um, as I said, as Steve, when was reading that, um, I chose that passage because uh, we're going to talk about mission today. We're going to talk about what it means to be joyful and generous in the mission that God has provided for us, that God has asked us to part- be participants of. And he reminded us as we read that passage that we're in this journey, that God has put us into the world. Uh, he has not taken us out of the world. He's asked us to be relevant in the world that we're in. Um, For the last four or five weeks, we've been in this series called Faithful to the Core, and we've been taking a look at our various identities, uh, our various core values. We started out about uh, five weeks ago um, talking about what our our mission is here at Jacobs. Well, we have it on these little signs here. Our our mission is that we exist to be the glory, to exist for the glory of God, uh, for the good of the city, the neighborhoods, the environments that God has placed you uniquely, and we want to extend hope through the gospel. And we'll unpack what that word gospel means a little bit, just as a recap. Um, Scott, Pastor Scott uh, talked about as we kicked off this series that our vision here at Jacob's Well is that we would be a church that breaks barriers to encounter Jesus. And that comes from our name, Jacob's Well, where Jesus encountered a woman who was um, in adultery, in various areas of sin. Um, she had an encounter with the living God, and her life was transformed. And that's what we want to be about here. Uh, if you go to the first slide there, our, our, our various core identities are um, symbolized by these little icons that we have here, and we've walked through this over the last five or six, uh, four or five weeks. Uh, we, we say that our core identities are our non-negotiable hows. They're how we do ministry. They put guardrails in what we will do and what we won't do. Um, we view them as our culture, our DNA, what makes us who we are as Jacob's well. And these are also identities that aren't places that we've arrived yet. We're on the journey to understand what it means to be gospel-centered, what it means to be thoughtfully engaged, what it means to live in life uh, in multi-ethnic community, what it means to have joy and generosity, what it means to seek justice and mercy. Uh, As we begin, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive in. God, I thank you that you are a God who knows our every need, and even as we just uh, finished singing earlier, we thank you that you know us so deeply that you have not uh, left us alone, um, even as we read in that scripture, Lord, that you have sent us into the world. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, I pray, Father, that you would quiet our hearts, uh, that you would remove distractions from our minds. I pray that your Holy Spirit would enable your truth to communicate and find a place in our hearts uh, where each one here needs to hear and for those online where they need to hear. And so I pray that uh, the words that I might speak uh, would be valuable to those ends. Um, I pray, Father, that, that you would uh, enable um, confusion and uh, to be replaced with clarity, that you would enable um, words to be spoken that encourage and, uh, and challenge us in different ways. Uh, thank you for your word. pray that as we look into it now, that you would guide our thoughts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. If you go to the first slide, or the next slide, I should say, um, we started off our series talking about this word gospel, and we said that uh, 
uh, when we say that we're a gospel-centered church, we're part of a larger story. Uh, God created all of creation, including Adam and Eve. And when he created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image. He had a relationship with them as a creator. And the created beings and their mission was to rule, manage, and steward all that God had created. Then something happened. The reality is that man and woman wanted to have their own way. They disobeyed God. And as a result, sin enters the world. Sin is anything that goes against God's law. Sin separates us from God. And so suffering and death began throughout all of creation. And in the story of redemption, God sends his son, Jesus, to take us, to take on the consequences of all of humanity's sins, and he dies on our behalf. Jesus defeats death by rising from the dead, offering forgiveness to mankind, and builds a, bid, a bridge back to relationship with God. He says that anyone who believes in him will have everlasting life. And not only about everlasting life, that our relationship that was initiated by God in creation would be restored. And the final restoration is the final act of this story. Jesus will one day return to restore finally and completely all of creation, including the physical world and all of humanity. He will usher in the renewal of heaven and earth where humanity and God will live in restored relationship. If you go to the next slide, the word gospel, we use that term over and over again here at Jacob's Well, especially when we talk about being gospel-centered. Um, Pastor Tim Keller in New York says this as a definition. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him, and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. You see, the gospel tells us that God rescues us. He initiates. He is the one who initiates love for us. We receive God's gift. We don't work for it. God restores relationship with us. That's what we mean by the word fellowship. He restores that relationship that was broken. And then God uses us, his followers, to help restore creation in the here and now, and ultimately in that last act of, uh, of the story, God will restore all of heaven and earth. If you go to the next slide, uh, the gospel informs us that God is in the work of restoring individual relationships. And oftentimes in church communities, we can get we can err on the side of being either one side of this and or the other side of this and symbol. Um, yes, God is one who restores. There is an individual responsibility that we have to trust God. And if we do, he promises uh, eternal life. He promises us that there will be salvation. There's also a corporate side and, and the systems and structures that this world has that are broken. God also calls us into restoration of that in, in the life that we live um, in our agency in that, to be part of God's kingdom in restoring creation. And ultimately, he will restore it, and he will replace what we have today with the new heaven and a new earth. He uses this process in us to break down barriers that humanity has created against one another, as well as systems and structures that oppress and marginalize other human beings. Understanding this story helps us understand our role in the story that God is writing. You know, this worldview is so counter to what we see in the world around us. This worldview says that you were created with a purpose, that God created you with dignity, uh, with purpose, and has a plan for each one of our lives. And at the end of life, that there is a hope, there is something coming. The worldview that we live in today 
um, or that we see exhibited across uh, all of our media sources is that you, have, you came to into existence through time and circumstance and chance. You have no value. You started out with no value. And you know what? At the end of the day, you're going to be buried six foot under, and you have no existence after that. However, in the midst of the time between birth and death, you have incredible meaning. You have incredible value. And it's no, it's no wonder why the amount of stress, anxiety, um, the amount of loneliness that we see in the world today, it's because of this worldview that you have no value before, you have no value after, and yet somewhere in between there, we need to prove to you that you have self-esteem and worth. That's contrary to what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that from inception, you have worth, that you're, a, you're, you're dignified because of who you are, because God created you in his image. That's what we mean when we say that we're gospel-centered. If you go to the next slide, uh, all of our other identities flow from this understanding of the gospel, that we're part of this larger story, that God is the one who initiates love, and then we understand what it means to be thoughtfully engaged. Tyler Stowell taught us about this a few weeks ago, about this core identity. He reinforced that we're supposed to be thoughtful in how we share the message with others and how we engage culture. You know, we can be thoughtlessly engaged, he said, and we can critique and criticize culture and others around us. We can be thoughtlessly disengaged, where we condemn others. We can be thoughtfully disengaged, we copy culture. We can be thoughtfully engorged. It was a great line that he said. You know, we can be consumers of all that the culture has for us. Or we can be thoughtfully engaged where we cultivate and create gospel culture within our families, within our communities. He then shared that what it means to be a people who can engage culture in that way, he used the example of Paul, an early church teacher, how he engaged the people of Rome and pointed others to Jesus as an example. Pastor Rich taught us a few weeks ago on this core identity of living life in multi-ethnic community. He showed us how in Jesus' time and throughout history, ethnicity has been an area that creates barriers between human beings. Sin within us tends to cause us to blame, to criticize, to condemn, to marginalize, to oppress our fellow human beings. He shared the countercultural story of the Good Samaritan as a picture of God's love for us, that even when we feel abandoned, left for dead on the roadside, that God is the one who initiates love, who rescues us and restores us. He reminded us that ethnicity carries on into eternity and that heaven is a place where there is oneness without sameness. Oneness without sameness. God will restore creation so that there will one day be a multitude of diverse people from all nationalities, all tribes, all peoples, all language groups who together worship God in unity. That is life in multi-ethnic community. Unity of purpose and mission, but diverse in their being. That's one of our core identities. We want to embody that. We want to try and be a role model for that within our community here at Jacob's Well. And last week, Jalen uh, Baker reminded us when it comes to addressing systems and structures of injustice related to gender, ethnicity, race, age, and so many other areas, we have to apply the gospel to these areas of life. He pointed out that these systemic issues are a sin issue. They're not just a political issue or a geopolitical issue or a humanitarian issue or an economic issue. They're sin issues. He showed us that this is what the Bible calls us out for, 
system, systemic injustice perpetrated against another human being is sin because it reduces the inherent human dignity that God created with us and within us. Then we have a, as a people have a responsibility to speak out against as we take action when we see injustice in our communities. And so we come to today, this last identity, joy and generosity represented with these open hands. Um, as we begin to look at this core identity of generosity and mission, uh, joy and generosity and mission, I want to focus some of our time on this word mission. Um, in the past, we've done various series. Every, every year we do this series. And in the past, we've done quite a bit of teaching on, on joy and generosity. I wanted to spend a little bit of time more on this word mission and in what it means for us to be practical in the ways that we embody mission and we engage in mission with Jesus. So I want to take a look at three things. You know, what was Jesus' mission? Um, I want to then take a look at what is the mission that God entrusted to us? And then thirdly, what are some practical things that we can do? So first, what was Jesus' mission? As we look at the Gospels of Jesus, we see that Jesus talked about bringing in a new kingdom, a kingdom where God's plans and purposes would rule and reign. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21 says this. It's a, got it in the scrolly Bible, great. Um, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus did one of those mic drops, right? He's, he, he opened the scroll. He read what it said, which was this ushering in of this new kingdom that would restore brokenness in the world. And then he stopped and he said, And it's me. I'm the one that's going to do that. And after this passage, the, there was an eruption of, of folks who were out to destroy him. That's when the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that time started to conspire to figure out how to bring him down. And why? Because he was talking about a kingdom that was upside down, that took away power from those that had power, that gave power and empowered those who were marginalized. If you go to the, first, the, the next slide there, Jesus' mission was to preach good news to the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed in society. And he said a day was coming when there would be freedom. He spoke about this new kingdom, you know, the, the kingdom that, that he was part of at that time. The Jewish nation was under oppression by the Roman rulers. And in that kingdom, in that time and space, the greatest was the leader, the ruler, the Caesar, the king. Power and authority rested at that level. Influence rested at that level. Access to resources rested at that level. Life and death in many situations rested at that level. And those rulers oppressed and made rules for the masses. Jesus came and ushered in a new kingdom. He said that the greatest is not at the top. He said the greatest is the servant of all. And our job as servants, if we're followers of Jesus, is to do what he did, which is to empower and serve others. So the kingdom way is an upside-down kingdom. 
this next table, I started putting together some thoughts that I had about how do we compare these two things? You know, the world's way, the focus of the world's way is the self, all focused on me, myself, and I. The kingdom way is focused on others. The goal of the world's way, as you can see, is power, authority, prestige, fame. God's kingdom is to be like Christ. The verbs that we use in today's kingdom, in the world's kingdom, take as much as you can, grab as much as you can, use as much as you can, use others if that's necessary to achieve your goal. The kingdom way is fundamentally different. It's to love, to give, to serve others. The measures that we use in the world's way are in the corporate world focused on returns, results, outcomes. The kingdom way is about impact and lives that are transformed. Many times that you don't see for days, weeks, decades. The motivation of the world's ways is dominance driven by greed. The kingdom way, the motivation is God's love for us. That's the kingdom that God is building. That was the mission that Jesus was on to give his life as a ransom for all of humanity so that we can be set free. So that's the first part. That was Jesus' mission. We'll transition into what was, what's the mission that he's given to us. And as we read through the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, Jesus' teachings in the Bible point to three major movements as it relates to our mission on this earth as his followers. If you go to the next slide, a movement that's upward, a movement that's inward, and then a movement that's outward. So upward, a connection with God. Mark 12, 30 to 31 says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So this first movement of upward movement is about aligning ourselves to God, aligning ourselves to God's purposes and plans reprogramming our brains and our minds to what's really important in life. This is where our gospel-centered identity comes from. We're called to love God and to love the story of the gospel and have it inform and instruct our everyday life. You know, here at Jacob's Well, we talk about daily offices. If you've been part of our discipleship course, we always start our D course with two minutes of silence and then two minutes to reflect and think. Uh, the daily office is a practice that we try to embody where we take for every single day, take a moment, take some time that you specifically de de dedicate and set apart as a rhythm, as a discipline to connect with God. The other, the other movements that I'm going to talk about are motivated by this vertical movement. If we don't have a connection to God, it's very difficult to get the energy, the strength to go countercultural and think about life and community or to think about others in the world. So I challenge you this morning to think about what, how does your connection with God look as we start this new year? You know, we've got another 10 and, ten and a half months left in this year. Um, what does your connection with God look like? Are there practices and principles you need to put in place? The second movement is an inward movement. A new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, this meaning love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's John chapter 13. How did Jesus, Jesus love us? He loved us with all that he had, his body, his blood, with every ounce of his life. 
you know, in, in the New Testament, there are over 100 passages that talk about this one another, various aspects of one another. About a third of them deal with unity, how we have to be unified together as believers. A third of them instruct us, as the passage that I just read here from John 13, to love one another. I found a whole PDF of these 100 passages. I'm not going to read them all. But let me give you some, some food for thought as you think about what it means to live in community with one another. Obviously, love one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, look to the interests of one another, bear with one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, show hospitality to one another, pray for one another. The list goes on and on. There are so many places where God commands us to these one another responsibilities. And at Jacob's Well, we want to embody that as we think about life in community together, in our multi-ethnic community. What does it mean for us to love one another? For those of you who are married, some of those things will stretch the relationship of what it means to love a spouse unconditionally. For those of you who have children, parenting will teach you and stretch your understanding of loving someone else. And here at Jacob's Well, we want to learn how to love one another in multi-ethnic community. How can you do that? You know, we've got great opportunities to do that. We've got a community meal that happens once every other month to connect with others, just to get connected. Um, if you're not part of one of our care groups, sign up for one of our four care groups so that we can care for one another. And we've got eight great coordinators that help coordinate the care within our community so that we can care for one another because that's what God calls us to. And if you're not connected to one of our D courses, as was mentioned earlier, we just started last week. Plug into one of the D courses so that you get a chance to rub shoulders in the, in the scriptures with one another and get to learn from one another. You know, these are safe spaces where we learn what it means to love one another. Because as you go into the world, the world does not love us. The world does not love one another well. And so what better place to practice some of these principles than here within a safe community? Lastly, this third movement is outward, outward into the world. Mark 16, 15 says this. It says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says this. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, th these are familiar passages. We've probably heard that from a sermon here or somewhere else. Um, they're called the Great Commission, the Great Co-Mission, that we are in mission with Jesus. It's a co-mission between us and God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. He promises that he'll never leave us alone in this mission. Without God's Holy Spirit, our mission is mission impossible because we can't transform a person's heart. We can't transform a person's mind. Only God can do that. So as we go out into the rem world, remember that we are a people that are sent. We are a people that are sent. We have to go and proclaim. These are not suggestions. These were commands. Go, proclaim, make disciples. 
in, in the passage that, that Stephen read earlier, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying for his disciples and then praying for the church that was just initiating at that time. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We're an empowered, sent people in the world that God has entrusted to us. If you go to the next slide, there are three different, lots of different images or metaphors that the Bible uses to describe what it means to be sent. I picked three of them. We're called to be witnesses. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria to the end of the earth. You know, being a witness is a legal term. It's usually used in a court of law. A witness bears testimony of what they've seen or what they've experienced. If God has somehow done something in your life, transformed your life, then you can be a witness of that. That's all it means to be a witness, is to say, I was this way, something happened, God changed me, and now I'm this way. That's being a witness. Just share how Jesus has changed your life and perspective. Another image, another metaphor that that is used in the scriptures is this idea of being a laborer. Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38 says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. So the second image is that of an agricultural image. It's a term that's used in farming. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I've planted, you know, vegetables and flowers. You know, there are things that are required when you're in that agricultural metaphor, in that agricultural time. Preparing the soil is important. Planting the seeds are important. Watering is important. Pulling out weeds are important. And one day there will be a harvest. This reminds us, this metaphor reminds us that as laborers, this labor for the lost, when we're sent out, is that um, it's a process. There's no single silver bullet. There's time. There are those that come along the journey. In, in 1 Corinthians, it says, you know, there are some people who plant, there are some people who water, but God is the one who gives the increase. This metaphor of laboring means that we have a responsibility to do our part in the process that God's called us in someone else's life. We're not responsible for the outcomes. We're responsible to be faithful to the area that God has given us, to the relationships that God has given us. And we leave the outcomes to him. We're just part of the process. We don't convert anyone. Our job is to set forth the truth plainly and let God's Holy Spirit do his work in another person's life. But God does call us into the harvest fields. He does call us to labor. The third uh, image is that of an ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So ambassador, this is a diplomatic term. This is the term that we use in governments. The State Department of the United States has ambassadors across the world. It's a person who represents the country of citizenship in a foreign land. Why did he use the term ambassador? Because that's what we are. We have a, if we believe in Jesus, we have a citizenship in heaven, and we represent the rule and reign of that kingdom here on this earth. We're called to testify of what God has done in your life, to represent him in the unique spheres of influence that each of you have, that he's placed you. And we're called to labor in the harvest fields with this message of hope. If you go to the next slide, each one of these movements that we just talked about, the upward movement, the inward movement, the outward movement, there's a progression that takes a little bit more risk. You know, to have a daily connection to God is most of the time it's a private thing. There's very little risk of what others will say. To live in community with one another, that will probably mean that you're going to be misunderstood. There'll probably be disagreements and conflict. You may have to wrestle with and discuss topics that may be uncomfortable because of your ethnic background. Many times our diverse backgrounds give us different perspectives or the beliefs that we learn from our families of origin or from someone else's. Or perhaps even it's our internal biases that create barriers with one another. Living in community will force us out of our comfort zones and challenge us to engage in looking at the barriers that stop us from loving someone else the way that Jesus does. And you know what? To go out into the world and tell others about Jesus even requires more risk. What will other people say? What will they think about me? They're going to label me with those other Christians. There's always a cost to love others the way that Jesus asks us to. The next slide has a, has a quote, um, for again, from Pastor Tim Keller. He says this, think about it. If you love a person whose life is all put together and has no major needs, it costs you nothing. It's delightful. There are probably four or five people like that where you live. You ought to find them and become their friend. But if you ever try to love somebody who has needs, someone who is in trouble or is persecuted or emotionally wounded, it's going to cost you. You can't love them without taking a hit yourself. A transfer of some kind is required so that somehow their troubles, their problems, transfer to you. He goes on to say, there are a lot of one wounded people out there. When they're with you, you want to look at your watch and make a graceful exit because listening to them with all of their problems can be grueling. Some of your fullness is going to have to go into them and you have to empty out to some degree if you hold on to your emotional comfort and simply avoid those people, they will sink. The only way to love them is through substitutionary sacrifice. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. It costs time, energy, resources, emotional energy, mental energy, physical energy to go and love someone else. And those three movements, you know, it's easy sometimes for us to love God in our in our, in our office rooms or in our bedrooms or in, in our homes. To love someone else takes energy. It's countercultural. To tell somebody else about Jesus, that takes even more energy because you've got to get over your own ego about what is someone going to say or think about me. 
but God commands us to love him and love others. We have to be willing to take some of these risks. You know, our brains, both um, intellectually, mentally, physiologically, we're, we're wired for comfort. Doing the uncomfortable takes energy. The reality is that learning only happens when we get out of our comfort zones. That's when we learn about another person's culture and perspective. That's when we can empathize with another person's experiences. And I've, I've said this before, you know, there, there's a difference between being in the comfort zone and being in the panic zone. I'm not asking you to go into the panic zone where you freeze, right? Uh, I'm asking all of us as believers, um, not just me, God calls us to get out of our comfort zones, to be a little uncomfortable. Um, and that's where learning happens. In between the comfort zone and the panic zone is the zone. This is uh, any of you who are in productivity theory or think about how to motivate people Learning only happens in that in-between zone when you're out of your comfort and you're trying to do something different. And you know, the, the world of neuroscience teaches us that neuroplasticity is, is well and good through the time that you die, that your brain changes. Um, you know, the, the old adage, you, know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, that's not true. The brain continues to change, but we have to be willing to get out of our comfort zones. Um, anybody who's into any kind of sports or exercise understands this. You have to exercise and train muscles, and it's uncomfortable, it's painful, but that's where growth happens. So the third area, we talked about what was Jesus's mission. We talked about the mission that he's now called us into. And I want to talk a little bit for a few minutes here into how do we put this into practice? What does this mean for us? Last week, Jalen introduced us to three terms, orthodoxy, which is right believing, orthopathy, which is right feeling, and orthopraxy, which is right doing. Our doing should always be informed by what we believe. If you go to that next slide that says faith in action. Perfect. Um, James 2, verses 14 to 17 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have good works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know, James here is putting forward the argument that faith must express itself in action. The example here is that there's a need. Someone has a need. Um, and the need has been identified. It's not like a question, what is the need? The need's been identified. In this particular case, it was somebody that needs uh, daily food or poor clothing. In order for our actions to be relevant, we can't, we can't solve that problem with platitudes and just mere words. It takes action. He's making the point here that words are sometimes inefficient, many times insufficient. They need to be backed up with actions. Our actions and our words should be informed by our belief, by our faith. As we express our faith in words and actions, our faith is shaped and strengthened. Have you ever experienced that? You step out in faith, you help somebody else, and sometimes there's a, a reciprocal nature. There's a feedback loop. We end up getting blessed because of our attempts, futile though they may, though they may be, to help someone else. There is this feedback loop. When Jesus said it's better to give than to receive, that's what he was talking about. We express our faith in our actions, and when we express our faith, there's always a return for that. 
We don't work for the return, but there is that return that our faith expresses itself in action. And then that action, whether that's a word or whether that's a deed, that that action then strengthens and shapes the faith that we have so that we can, we can trust God more. So I ask you, it's, it's a simple muscle that we have to exercise. Our faith is a simple muscle that we have to exercise. We need to step out, perhaps into uncomfortable areas, ask God for his guidance, and then see what happens. So how do we put this faith into action? I'd like to talk about two specific ways, and this comes back to this core identity of joy and generosity. The next slide talks about the first one. One of the ways that we can express our faith and put it into action is how we steward our resources. You know, there is this reality that God is the one who provides. God is source. God is the one who is the provider of all good things. And he gives to us resources. Um, and the, these resources that we have, uh, time, we call them time, treasure, and talents, right? The time that we have, the, the, the resources that he's given to us many times financially, and the talents that he's infused in each and every one of you are resources that, that we are responsible for and we have accountability to God. Not to me, not to Jacob's well, but you have an accountability to God to use your resources and steward them well. You know, time is somewhat self-explanatory. I think the last time I, I spoke here, I, I laid out a, a rubric. Um, everyone has 24 hours a day. You don't have any more. You don't have any less. Everybody's got 24 hours a day. We've got a responsibility to use our time. It doesn't mean that all of our time has to be in one particular area. I'm not being pedantic, right? I'm saying that but we have to be responsible with the time that we've been given. Treasures are financial resources that God's provided to you. The Bible says that we should give of our financial resources generously and cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give, give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, we're, we're, we as a church here, we're not a shakedown church. We don't pass around a plate. Uh, we ask you to give because of what God's given to you. Um, you know, you can give online. You can give in the paint bucket that's in the lobby. Um, we don't pass an offering plate or a bucket because we don't want to be a church that creates compulsions. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't have needs. We have needs, but we want that to be between you and the Lord. How much you give, um, what quantity you give, is less important. The fact that you give is important because it shows a heart attitude that we are cheerfully giving, that we are sacrificially giving because of what God has done for us. It's a response, right? God is the one who initiates love. God is the biggest giver of all, and our response is to give back. If you're a member here, we include giving as part of our membership covenant because you want to give. Uh, we want you to give towards the mission that you're a part of here at Jacob's Well. Um, as Michelle said, you know, 20% of all that we take in goes out. Uh, every dollar that you give, 20 cents of that dollar goes to support those who are on mission in various places. Some of them are overseas. Some of them are doing church planting. Others are involved in campus ministry, high school ministry, missions trips, many other things. So what we give as, as an act of generosity here at Jacob's Well, we give out. Because that's what God calls us to, is to be generous and to be faithful and to do that with a cheerful heart. Lastly, I don't want to miss this. If, if any of you have financial needs, I mean, there are seasons of life 
where uh, things get difficult. And if any of you have financial needs, please come and talk to one of us. Talk to somebody at the Connect table. Talk to me. Reach out. We have money that our diaconate team disperses to those who have specific physical and financial needs. So this area of money is one area that we have to be good stewards of. Individually, all of you have the responsibility to do that. As a church, we have that responsibility corporately to steward our resources well when it comes to finances. Uh, The last area is talents. Talents are the skills, the knowledge, and the experiences that you bring into our community. It was great to hear Cooper play the violin this morning. Um, Yeah, see? (laughs) There you go. Um, That was special, right? And, you know, there are those of you who are sitting here who have all kinds of skills, knowledge, experience, things that you can bring to our community that you uniquely possess that I don't possess. I can't play an instrument. I don't know how to read music. But I am grateful for the team that leads here week after week um, in using their talents for God's glory. There are folks who serve in the back there every single week. Um, There are folks who serve in our well teens and well kids ministries. Uh, Worship music, worship arts, those who lead us in painting and poetry and audiovisual arts. Uh, Those who help with production, with technology, sound. Those who help in the flow team, the smiling faces that help you find a parking spot. Um, Those that greet you when you walk in, the connect team. Um, and many other teams that I've probably not mentioned. Um, We have a responsibility to use the talents that God has given to us uniquely for the strengthening of his body. And I want to put a shameless plug in here for for our service team, you know, that we've been helping and trying to identify areas that we can serve within the communities that we live in. Uh, You know, our church is a regional church. We, We, you know, we're not just here in North Brunswick. All of you are from various parts of New Jersey and Central Jersey. And so we want to be a church that helps to serve the needs that are in that area. This past year, we've had a, a chance to serve those who have been refugees. There's a team that meets here, a group that meets here every single Wednesday to learn English as a second language. Um, we've helped with technology. We've, we've helped with Elijah's Promise, which is down in New Brunswick, helping those who are homeless. Uh, we've helped with various food, food pantries. Um, all that to say that if, if you're involved, if you're personally involved in a, in a ministry or a nonprofit and you'd love for our community to somehow engage with that organization or group, come and talk to me. Let's figure out how we can use the resources that we have, the people as well as financial resources that we have to help those communities, assuming that they're in alignment with our core mission and values. So that's my shameless plug for the service team, um, is to say come, we're starting a new year. We've got lots of opportunities. All of you have lots of connections. Let's see how we can be more relevant within all the communities that we're part of as we look at 2023. And as it comes to this topic of of resources, you know, there are seasons of life where you can devote your time and talents, but you may not be able to provide as much in financial resources. That's just the reality of life. Um, Or there are seasons of life when it's easy for you to write a check, but your time is constrained because of things that are happening at work or within your family. These are all discipleship issues. We'd be more than happy to sit down with you to help you discern how you can use the resources that God's given you for his kingdom purposes within our community. Now, if you're a member here, we want you to steward your resources for God's kingdom in our local community. We want you to feel a sense of ownership that this is your mission. This is not any one person's or group's. This is our mission at Jacob's Well. So now we've talked about putting our resources towards kingdom priorities, but what about the mission that God gave us to go and proclaim, to go and make disciples? Where does that apply in our faith, in action, priority? 
As you may remember from Vision Sunday, when we kicked off this series, one of the priorities this year as a church is to do more specific teaching and equipping in evangelism. It's one of the areas where I tried to focus this morning to, to talk about mission, to summarize what we've talked about, but then also talk about this word mission. Tyler and Rachel are doing a, a D course on that. Um, if you haven't signed up already uh, and you're eligible, we'd love to have you join us in that. Um, there's a missiologist, Michael Frost, if you put up the next slide, um, down in Australia, New Zealand. He wrote a little book called Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. Um, I read this book just in, in preparation for this, just to think about what do I need to be challenged by as I think about mission? What does our family need to be challenged by as we think about what does it mean to be in mission? And he says this, mission is more, more than and different from recruitment to our brand of religion. It is alerting of people to the universal reign of God through Christ. This comes back to that kingdom metaphor that I laid out, right? We're part of a new kingdom. That's what God initiated and instituted. That's what we mean by mission. Mission is both the announcement and the demonstration. This is the faith and work, the words and the deeds. Both the announcement and the demonstration of the reign of God through Christ. If our habits as Christians are going to church and attending meetings, they're not going to connect us with unbelievers nor invite their curiosity about our faith. When I read that, it was, it was a pierce to the heart uh, for me. So if our habits as Christians is just merely going to church, I'm not saying they shouldn't be here on Sunday morning or coming to D course, if, but if those are our only habits, they're not going to connect us with people who don't know Jesus. That's why those of us who are not gifted evangelists need to foster habits in our lives that draw us out into the lives of unbelievers. Now, he makes this distinction in this book between evangelists and evangelistic people, right? Um, in Ephesians, God calls out specific roles, people who he's specifically gifted with the gift of evangelism. That doesn't mean that they're super evangelists. It means that they've got a special gifting, a special perspective, the ability to connect with people with the message of Jesus. But the Great Commission passages that I read earlier is for all of us. Go and proclaim. Go and make disciples. That's regardless of whether you're a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist or an apostle, right? It's regardless of all those roles. He calls all of us to be evangelistic. And the only way for us to be evangelistic is to put some practices into place. So I want to close with these couple of things that I want to cha it was challenging me. There are four or five habits in here, but I want to, I want to lay out two that are pretty simple. If you go to the next slide. Um, how do we put our faith into action? Um, these are some tangible things that we can take with us. Bless others three times per week, at least one person who's not a Jesus follower. So this can be a word of affirmation. Send somebody, a, you know, handwritten notes are probably not in vogue anymore. Nobody's got stamps, but um, maybe a handwritten note to somebody to encourage them. An email, a text, a Snapchat, or whatever you use, right? <laughs> Sorry, I dated myself. <laughs> that's, that's my kid's generation. I don't know what the... Maybe it's a TikTok video that you want to send to your friend to encourage them. Um, but, but think about this, right? So words of affirmation, an act of kindness, a random act of kindness where you help somebody, a gift of appreciation. Is it possible for us to bless somebody three times, bless three different people in a week and do that with some, at least one of those people that is not a believer? Um, 
I think we're in like week five or six of the year, you know, so depending, if my math is not right, um, you'll forgive me. I think we've got 45 or 46 weeks left in the year. If you blessed three people a week, that's 135 people, plus or minus, um, that, that you could touch. Is that realistic? Is that possible? I want to challenge you to think about if that's possible, if that's realistic for you. The second one is eat with others. I read in First Peter talking about hospitality with a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, a teammate, a dorm roommate. You know, it could be at your dinner table or at a coffee shop, dining room, in your cafeteria, wherever. Get to know other people. Get to know what their hopes are, what their dreams are, what their fears are, the hurts that they've got, and ask God's Holy Spirit to guide you. You know, I'm a foodie. I love to eat. And when I read this, I said, this is it. This is great. I, I can eat with somebody three times a week. Um, he challenges us. He challenges, in, in the book, challenges us to, you know, if you, if you eat three times a day, uh, seven days a week, you've got 21 meals a week. What does it mean to spend three of those meals with somebody else? What does, what does your dinner table look like during the course of a week? Uh, is it just your family? Do you have dinner together as a family? Um, those of you who live in families, um, if you're if you're you know, if you're in 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 the in the dorms and in the colleges, what is your what does your lunch table look like? Those of you in high school and junior, what does your lunch table look like? What does your cafeteria table look like? Are they just your friends and your little clique, or are there people at that table that you can ask them some hard questions about their hopes and their dreams, their fears and their hurts? So I want to challenge us to think about these missional habits. What does it mean to bless others? What does it mean to eat with others? And not, because these are things you're going to do anyway. You're going to eat anyway. You can say, well, I'm on an intermittent fasting diet and I only eat 14 <laughs> times a week. Fine. So out of the 14 times a week, maybe you spend one or two of those um, with some people who, who you haven't met in a while, with a neighbor, with a friend that you haven't connected with in a while. I'm being a little facetious, but I'm also being a little bit, um, I'm hoping this is challenging you. And, because the only way for us to, to let others know is to be intentional. You know, like I said, you know, our, 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 our physiology leans toward comfort. It takes energy to go against the grain. It takes intentionality to go against the grain and to, to do things that are out of our comfort zone. So are there people that need encouraging? Are there people that need a listening ear? Yeah, they're all around you in the spheres of influence uniquely that God has placed you. As we close our time this morning, I'd love for you to take, um, take two minutes, if this next slide here. Um, you know, we've covered a lot. We've talked about um, these motions of being connected to God, to be connected to others in community, to then live that out in mission. Uh, putting our faith into action. We talked about resources and what does it look like for us to be good stewards of that. I'd love for you to take two minutes in reflection. Think about some of these questions. Am I growing in my relationship with God? Am I growing in my relationship with my community, in my community? Am I out in the world with those in my spheres of influence? Am I being a witness, a laborer, or an ambassador for Jesus? What does that look like in my life in, you know, in, in mid-February? How am I using my time, treasure, and talents? Who are three people? Think about who are three people that you can bless this week and in every week during the rest of this year with a word of affirmation, a gift of appreciation, or an act of kindness? And who are three people?